Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church in the cafe. God bless you guys. Love you so much. Uh, if you're listening by audio or video podcast, it is uh, just amazing to us that you find us. And we appreciate so much your participation in the life of Woodburn Baptist Church. It's a big, important day for us, an important decision facing us regarding a new staff member. Uh, I love that. It's exciting. Uh, we just really need to seek the Lord's guidance together. And that's what today is for. Be in prayer, everyone, and just ask God to bless us and, and lead us. Uh, I, I do personally love the new candidate. Um, this is weird, but y'all think his wife looks a little like Ivanka? You, you know, just anybody ever said that? If you have any pictures of your dad, I'd really like to see what your dad looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, just, I just keep thinking, man, it's Ivanka. Um, but people tell me I look like George Clooney, too, so, you know, uh, I know how that is. Open your Bibles to the book of Second Timothy. We're in the middle of a message series entitled, Summer to Remember. Summer to Remember. We're taking a look through Scripture at all of the things that God himself commands us to remember. Because you know the problem. We're constantly forgetting all the things that we should remember. And yet at the same time, if you're like me, I remember all of the things that I really ought to try to forget. So in order to get these things straight together, let's go to God's word and see the things that God himself says for us to remember. Open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 8. This is definitely the most important of all of these messages because it reminds us of the most important thing of all. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. This is what Paul says to Timothy in the Word of God. Always remember Jesus Christ. Now, do you agree now? I mean, that, that is it. That, that, that is the most important. Always remember Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David who was raised from the dead. This is the gospel that I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Remember the gospel. Remember Jesus. I don't know why it is in our lives. I don't know why it is in a church that we tend to always get, get the main things out of the main position. But honestly, in church life, in our own lives, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the main thing. Jesus is the priority. Jesus is all the world to us. But we forget that. We absolutely forget that. We make other things more important in church, in our lives. We mess this whole thing up because we simply forget to remember Jesus and remember the gospel. Gosh, nearly 17, 18 years ago now, we were across the street. It's an empty lot now, but in the old days, there was a 100-year-old church building, and we worshiped in it. There were 70 or 80 of us, and that was Woodburn Baptist Church back in the day. It was glorious, honestly. 
Those of you who've never seen the old building, the only piece of the old building you've probably ever seen is this window that is behind me every single Sunday. That's original. Uh, the old church building was built in 1897, and so when our church moved uh, across you know, to where we are now, about 18 years ago, uh, this window came across the street with us. So this is a 100-year-old window. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. And, and it's just beautiful. It's, it's been a part of all of our lives. We, uh, we, we love it. So here's the thing. When we're trying to design a new church, a new building, a, a new sanctuary, where do you start? How, how do you know, you know what to begin? And, and honestly, for us, the one thing we do from the start is, well, that window's coming with us. That window is going to be a part of the new sanctuary. No, no matter what, I mean, we're going to have the window. So as it turns out, as you start designing this room you're sitting in right here, everything sort of comes off the window because that's what we started with. We knew the window's going to be there. So you start asking questions. Well, how tall will the ceiling be? Well, it's going to be tall enough for that window right there. I mean, seriously, that's what we did. You start with the window. I think the window's 12 feet tall. And so therefore, you know, that, that ceiling's got to be like 15 feet tall. And you go from there. I mean, everything starts with the window because that's the, the thing. That, that's what we knew. So what will the other windows look like? Well, they're going to have a pointed arch like the stained glass window, you know, because everything's got to match this window. I mean, it's the only thing we knew, so everything got built around it. What color's the carpet going to be? Well, we don't know, but something that's going to complement the window. Yeah, I mean, you know. So, so honestly, for us, the, the, the window was the first thing. It's the only thing we knew, and so everything sort of got, got, got built uh, around that. The, the point I make there is that when you know what comes first, everything else finds its place. When you know what comes first... And everything else has its own place. It sort of falls in, into place. Right now, some of us, our lives are a little out of order. Uh, our lives are out of whack. Things don't ever exactly land right for you. No, no matter what you do, things always seem a little bit off. And, and I would just challenge you to look at your own life and examine what you have in first place. What, what is the priority for you? Because when you know what comes first, everything else, and I mean everything else, finds its place. Now, I know that sounds really simple, and it is simple, but that doesn't make it easy. Even for believers, even for those of us who believe in Christ, our, our, our faith, we would say, is strong. And we would say that Jesus is, is everything to us. At the same time, if we looked at our lives, does your life look like a, an arrangement where Jesus himself is the center, where Jesus is the priority? Because that's the thing. In life, you have priorities and you have distractions. Priorities and distractions. And the difficulty is in trying to distinguish between the priorities and the distractions. Because we have this horrible tendency to make the small things, to make the distractions, suddenly priorities. And then the priorities begin to interfere like distractions. Your priorities and, and distractions. What you must do, of course, is make sure that Jesus himself, your relationship with Jesus, you have to make that the centerpiece. It has to be the priority in your life. Now, if Jesus is not the priority in your life, then what is the priority for you? What is at the center of your life? Go back to the word. It's amazing what Paul says here. 
Paul is by this point nearing the end of his life and ministry. By the time he writes this letter that we call 2 Timothy, it's a letter to a young pastor whose name is Timothy. And so Paul has known Timothy. Paul uh, knew Timothy when Timothy was just a a kid with his mother and grandmother. And Paul becomes sort of a father figure, a, a spiritual father for sure. And so Paul begins to pour into Timothy to train him in the gospel and then to train him as a minister. And so now Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy now has his own church at a place called Ephesus. And Paul is in prison. And as Timothy grows and as Timothy continues to serve, Timothy discovers what everybody who follows Christ soon discovers. Following Christ is not easy. Following Christ in a world that doesn't believe, doesn't know, doesn't love, doesn't appreciate following Christ, it gets harder and harder. And sometimes serving in a church doesn't make it any easier. You would think that church life would somehow always foster a life that goes after Christ, but that's not always the case. Appreciate not saying amen there, but but it's not always the, the, the case. Church life doesn't always help. And so for Timothy, church life is difficult. There are some real difficult, real difficult people. There are some teachers teaching false doctrine. I mean, Timothy struggles because he's young and doesn't always get the respect that he should get. And, and on top of that now, his mentor, Paul, his spiritual father, Paul's in jail for preaching. So this is what Paul is writing for. He wants to encourage Timothy. And the message all through this letter is you've got to remain faithful. You've got to be strong. Now, the reason he says that is because his circumstances are difficult. You've got to remain faithful because at this point to remain faithful is going to be costly for you. You're going to lose and you're going to suffer because I'm suffering and that's all I'm trying to do is serve Christ. I mean, this is what Paul says. Always remember Jesus, descendant of King David, raised from the dead. This is the gospel I preach, the good news I preach. And and because I preach the good news, I'm suffering. Does that make sense? You would think if all you're doing is spreading good news, man, you'd be at the front of every parade. I mean, if all you're doing is preaching good news, I mean, everybody likes good news, right? I mean, right? If I had, I got good news for you, say, tell me, tell me. I mean, what's the good news? Paul says, all I do is I preach good news and I suffer for it. If the gospel's good news, why would it bring suffering? We'll go back. When Paul summarizes the gospel here, it's really simple. It's Jesus. It's about Jesus. Remember Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. And some of us say, you know, I, I know how Paul, I know how it was for Paul, because I preach the gospel too. I'm always out there just telling people about my church. Well, y'all, it's not the good news about your church. I mean, sometimes churches are good news, but I'm telling you, they're not the good news. It's not really about our church. We have a great church, and I love to talk about our church too, but, but, but I am not called to preach the good news about Woodburn Baptist Church. We're not the good news, and, and you and I are certainly not the good news. What Jesus has done in my life is amazing, and I love to talk about it, but not in such a way where people would, would come out thinking about me. That I, I want them come, to come out thinking about Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. And if you think that you're out there sharing your faith, but you never say the name of Jesus, I don't know what kind of faith you're sharing. If, if in your life you, you never find yourself saying Jesus' name in the world, Something off 
something off. Because the gospel is Jesus. And even though what Jesus has done for the world is good news, I'm telling you, the world recognizes pretty quickly that the good news of Jesus cuts against the grain of everything the world values. Jesus, a descendant of King David. What does that mean? Why is that important? If you've only got to know two things about Jesus, Paul would say, you need to know he was the son of David and he was risen from the dead. Two things. Now, I think we all would recognize the risen from the dead part. That is the gospel. But why does it matter that he was a descendant of King David, a a, a Jewish king? Well, why is that important? Well, it anchors Jesus as a human being, first off. He's in a human genealogy. He's biologically related to all of us. He was human. As human as they come, he was human. He had a mother. Her name was Mary. Mary herself was a descendant of of, of King David. King David was the beloved king of God's people, the the, the Jews. Understand, from from Genesis 1 all the way through, God has been on this mission to save the world, on this mission to bring his people back to him. You can call it the story of salvation. You can call it salvation history. But it's what God's been doing ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, trying to bring us back to him, trying to save us. God's purpose has never, ever changed. Out of love, he wants to bring us back to himself. And he worked for all of these generations through through Israel, through the Jewish people. And he promised that through the Jewish people, there would be one like David, one who would sit on the throne of David, who would be a king, unlike any king you've ever known, would be the king above all all kings. But, But at the same time, he would be from this line, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, David's father. So understand, there's this continuity here. Jesus is continuous with everything that God was always doing in salvation history. See, that matters because some people look at the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They look at the Old Testament, they say, man, I guess none of that worked out. You know, the Old Testament plan, you know, with the Ten Commandments and all, it turns out we're not very good at not committing adultery. Turns out we're not very good at not lying. Turns out we're not very good at obeying our parents. It turns out we're not very good at any of this stuff. So God's first plan bombed. No, no. It was never God's plan to save us by seeing if we could be good people. Because God knew from the start, it's not in us to be good people. We make pretty good adulterers and liars and thieves and murderers. I mean, we do all that stuff in our sleep. When we can do that stuff, it's the, it's the being like God himself, holy as he is holy. That's the part we can't do. God knows we can't do that. The plan was never to save us by giving us a long list of rules. And if we keep those, then we can go to heaven when we die. It was never the plan. The law was given, the rules were given to show us our sin. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself holy. You can't make yourself anything. The more you try to be better, the worse you get. I mean, we just ask your wife. I mean, the more you try, the worse it gets. And and you just keep on trying, don't you? I mean, you just keep on trying. You're not going to gossip anymore. You're going to quit smoking today for real. You lighten up before I finish this sermon. I, I mean, you know, we can't do it. It's not in us. And the the original 
Testament in the scriptures, it's, it's not some plan A that, that failed, so it required a plan B. From the very beginning, everything in the Old Testament points to God's plan to send Christ. Christ himself, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. See, Jesus is in this plan of salvation that God had instituted from the very foundations of the earth. This isn't a plan A, and now there's a plan B, Jesus. Always God's plan to send his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be holy. He makes us holy. You see that? He's human. And yet he's God. I know, it doesn't make any sense because if it made sense, it wouldn't be God. I mean, mean, this this is God's plan, God's work. He's fully human but also fully God. We know this because of the resurrection. He conquered death. I mean, he died. Died on the cross. We, we all know that story. But then he came back from the dead. I mean, I did two funerals this week, and, and I do lots of funerals. And, and, and I'm telling you, when we put somebody in the ground, we put them in the ground to stay. I mean, we put them in the casket, and we crank it, and we seal it down. We don't want them popping out. I mean, you know, we, we, we crank that down. We, we, we vacuum pack that, that casket, and then we put it in a vault. I mean, because I mean, we want it down, and we put it six feet down, and then we, we pack it in concrete. We don't want that, you know, because our assumptions, they ain't coming back. You know, they ain't, we don't drill an air hole, they ain't coming back. I mean, you know, once you're there at Woodburn Cemetery, that is going to be your new address. I mean, you know, nobody comes back, but, but Jesus came back. Three times, I mean, he came back. They, they went to his tomb. They expected that to be his new permanent address. But when they got there, there was no one there. He had risen from the dead. He conquered death. And that means that, that now we worship the God who himself conquered death. There's nothing to fear. Because if you can't fear death, if you need not fear death, you have nothing left to fear. That's why he gives us victory over everything. That's how we know he has power over everything. That's how we know that his is the name above all names. That's how we know that his power is beyond all power. This is how we know he is who he says he is. He came back from the dead. So Paul says this is the gospel. It's good news. Because he's risen from the dead, we know that he has power over death. We know that he's God's son. We know that he has power to forgive sins. This is good news. Remember Jesus. Remember the gospel, Paul says. I don't have anything else to preach. It's the gospel. Now, I try to preach the full counsel of God's word, and there's so much wisdom and there's so, so, so many instructions for a holiness, but when it comes down to it, if it weren't for Jesus, I got nothing to preach. If it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for the gospel, then the rest of this book wouldn't amount to anything at all. I mean, you can say it's full of wisdom. It's, a, it's an earthly book, but I'm telling you, if it's not for the gospel, I don't know if it'd be worth my time to read it. It's the gospel. It's the fact that Jesus is the living word of God that makes the written word of God worth anything at all. It's Jesus. It's Jesus above and always. It's Jesus. And Paul says, because I preach the good news, I'm suffering. I've been chained like a criminal. I'm suffering. I've been chained like a criminal. And there are actually people who say that that Paul really was the inventor of the gospel. That, that Paul, Apostle Paul, a man who lived back, you know, in, in the year zero, 
that, that, that Paul somehow made this up, that, that, that he's the one, through his letters, through his early Christian writings, Paul's sort of the first Christian in it. Paul invented the gospel. Actually, some people say that the disciples themselves, that they, they, they didn't want the movement to end, and so once Jesus died, they invented the story of the resurrection. In order to keep this whole thing going, in, in order to make themselves important, in order, you know, to invent a religion, because you know that's how we do. But that doesn't take into account what it says right here. Because I preach this good news, I'm, I'm suffering. Paul suffered for this. You, you understand, this is actually, you know, the, the last letter in time that Paul is going to write, which means that in probably just a few weeks, Paul's going to be separated from his head. They're going to cut his head off. Paul is going to willingly lay down his life, and he's going to die for this gospel that he preaches. I'm telling you, people don't die for something that they know is a lie. Nobody suffers for something that they know is a lie. If Paul didn't believe this, if he did not fully believe that he encountered the living Jesus on the road to Damascus, if he did not believe that, he would not have given up his life for it. I'm suffering for this. I know that none of us in this culture anyway, we don't suffer like Paul suffered, but Remember, I said in this life there are priorities and there are distractions. And, and for you, the most important thing is to, is to know that Jesus himself is what comes first, that he's the priority in your life. So, so how do you know what the priority is in, in your life? I would say this. The best way to determine what's first place in your life is to pay attention to what you're willing to suffer for. Paul suffered for the gospel. I mean, they could not silence him. Paul says, I'm chained, but the gospel's not chained. And, and so therefore, Paul, even in chains, man, they can't stop him from preaching. He suffered for the gospel. What are you willing to suffer for? I, I know our lives are pretty luxurious, so, so our definition of suffering gets pretty thin. What will you just inevitably pay the price for? You know what I'm asking? In your life, what is it that you just won't ever say no to? And again, for some of us, again, I said that there are priorities and distractions, and our tendency is to make small things into big things. So for some of us, it would be absolutely embarrassing to have to admit what it is that we live for. Because honestly, for some of us, it would be something as, as lame as dessert. I mean, honestly, some of us, it's just food. It's dessert. I mean, we live our life obsessed with food. And, and, and even right now, even before I say it, some of you are already thinking, where am I going to eat lunch today? If he'll ever stop talking, where will we eat lunch? Cheddar's maybe? Or I don't know. I'm feeling Mexican. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking jalapeno dip at Chewy's, man. I mean, and, and, and I'm up here, you know, preaching Jesus risen from the dead. And you're thinking, no, maybe nachos, maybe nachos. Or one of those big sandwiches for me. See, yeah, those cheese dripping, man, you know. Why do you laugh? I'm up here preaching Jesus, and you're back there thinking, no, wild eggs, brunch. Man, brunch sounds good. 
I mentioned smoking earlier, and I'm not judging the, those of you who, are, who have addictions, but if you have any kind of addiction like that, it rules your life, doesn't it? I mean, it rules your life, and, and God help you. You're in bondage. I mean, to, to a stick, like it's a cigarette, you know? It, it's, it's like that, but, but it, it controls your life. It's like right now, if, if, if he doesn't, stop talking, because you've got to get out there and have another one. It, it rules your life. Work is, is just for you. Work is what you do in between smoke breaks. I mean, you can't visit people who won't let you smoke in their house because you'd rather smoke than be with people. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? We give our lives to things that are so very small, so very lame. We make the small things the big things. What is it you're willing to suffer for? What is it that you'll inevitably pay the price for? Because when it comes right down to it, if it's not costing you, you're not following Jesus. I mean, it's always costly to, to build your life around something because everything else has to be sacrificed. Everything else has to have the edges shaved off. You understand? And this is why the good news is not always welcome in the world because if Jesus is the good news and if Jesus is the gospel, then to accept the gospel means you've got to construct your entire life around him. He is the center. He's the first thing. He's the only thing that matters. And everything else, you just let go of it. And we're not willing to let go of it. So for that reason and that reason alone, the gospel is not always ring to us as good news. If it's not costing you, you're not following him. And I'm telling you, it doesn't really just count about the fact that you're in church today and therefore, you know, you could be home sleeping. No, I'm talking about really costly following Jesus. I mean, when he's first, I'm telling you, everything else, everything else goes somewhere else down the long list of priorities. Jesus is the main thing. Jesus is the gospel. And Paul says, you've got to remember the gospel. One more thing, and this won't flow smoothly, but I'm skipping. I'm, I'm trying to finish. Verse 10, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation, eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. See, there's something about this devotion to the gospel, something about when the gospel comes first, all of a sudden, again, it's good news, and news means it's got to be shared. So when the gospel is, is the main point of my life, then all of a sudden, man, man I, I am all about making sure people hear this news. And Paul says, there's nothing I won't endure. If I've got to sit in prison, if I've got to rot in these chains, if that means people will get saved, hey, just chain me up. You can't chain the gospel. It's just that whatever it takes kind of faith. I, I want that. I, I absolutely want that. But because the choices you make about Jesus are going to affect other people for eternity. And this is what Paul gets. That somehow what he does for Jesus, what he does for the sake of the gospel, that, that affects whether or not other people ever know Jesus, whether or not other people ever know the good news, whether or not they ever believe. Paul recognizes that. His choices about the gospel have real consequences in the lives of other people, and these are eternal consequences. Paul says, I'll do anything. I'll do anything if we'll get people saved. Man, the church I grew up in, people used to say that. You know, the thing is, I don't hear us saying that very much. You know, when we're trying to make an important decision, I don't always hear this church say, you know, well, will it help people know Jesus? Will it help people come to Jesus? Will it help people get saved? Because if it does, I'm for it. Then not everything we do helps people come to Jesus. As, as church people, we tend to stretch that. 
You know, I'm going to wear white tennis shoes when I preach because that means people with white tennis shoes might come to Jesus. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if my shoes are bringing anybody to Jesus. They're just awesome. All by themselves. But <laughs> Now, you know what I'm saying? We stretch it. We stretch it. We like to find ways to do what we want to do and then just sort of, you know, wrap it up in the gospel. But no, no, we... The gospel's at the center. Gospel's at the center. And when the gospel's at its place in the center, everything else takes its place somewhere else, but it can't be at the middle. It can't be at the center. Paul is telling Timothy, you got to stand strong. You got to remain faithful. You need strength. And there's only one source of that strength. It's never going to come from the church because the church people, Timothy, could chew you up and spit you out. And it can't really come from me either, Timothy. I've been your spiritual father, but I'm in chains. They can't chain the gospel, but they can chain me, and I'm in chains. And I don't know how this will come out. This could end in my death. I, I can't be your source anymore. And you had a good mama and a good grandma, but, you know, grandma's in a nursing home now and your mama's getting a little forgetful. I mean, you can't look to your mama and your grandma for your strength. But you need strength. You need to remember Jesus. You need to remember Jesus. You need to remember the gospel, and you need to make sure that the gospel is the center of everything for you. Remember Jesus, you all. Remember the gospel. There is nothing else. But pray with me. God, forgive me. I've preached a lot of sermons. Paul said that he never preached anything other than Christ and him crucified, but Turns out I've got a much greater repertoire. Preach a lot of things. Lord, help me to remember that I have nothing to preach but Jesus and him crucified, risen. Help us to remember, Lord, the, the, the sermon preached in the baptistry this morning by little Winston and Ansley. Lord, help us to remember that when we die with you, we live with you, but it requires a death. It requires, Lord, that we sacrifice ourselves, that we give up the life that we would live if it were up to us, Lord, so that we can live the life that is up to you. Oh, Jesus, be our source, be our center, be our top priority, be the foundation of our lives, the ground beneath our feet, be the breath in our lungs, Lord Jesus, be every waking thought, Lord, be in our minds, be in our hearts, Lord Jesus, be the world to us so that we can take you to the world. Lord, just make us that, that whatever it takes kind of believers, whatever it takes kind of church, Lord, so that whatever it takes sort of sinning, Lord, we will do for the sake of the world, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. We pray these things in his name, the only name above all names, Jesus. Amen.